everyone. Welcome to the Saker Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It is the 15th of December, 22. It is episode 63 of the podcast. And today we are thinking about how everything went wrong. So welcome to the podcast today, everyone. Today we are thinking about that topic, how everything went wrong. And really this is, I was just thinking about how I think we are living in a time where it just seems things have gone so catastrophically wrong that I don't think I remember a time in my lifetime where the government have seemed to be so singularly unable to to deal with the things which we actually need dealing with while at the same time pursuing their own kind of political agenda, which is quite authoritarian. So how do we get into that situation? Um, I've got a few thoughts to offer a bit later on in the podcast. But as usual, I'm going to start with a few thoughts um, inspired by things that I've read this week, a bit of news and, and what have you. Um, the first thing is, um, well, there's a couple of articles actually that uh, Alison Pearson has written this week, which have been really interesting. So one in the Telegraph from the 13th of December. This was an article called Highly Addictive Smartphones Are Destroying Teenagers. We need to ban them now. Uh, So this is um, writing about the problems of smartphones and how a lot of teenagers are really struggling at the moment, sort of mental health wise. And the smartphone is uh, really at the, um, you know, the epicentre, I think, of a lot of the problems. And I do agree with that. I think smartphones are a massive problem. And I think we've yet to really um, grapple with it as a society. I think there are a lot of problems, though, and Alison Pearson suggests that we should just ban smartphones, and I don't think that would really solve the problem. It seems to me we've got a wider cultural problem, and smartphones are, are where the battleground is being fought at the moment because they are, you know, so ubiquitous, and you know that that's that's the way that uh, young people communicate. But there's a much wider cultural issue there to do with smartphones, and it's to do with social media companies. It's to do with the culture of narcissism, which is not just about smartphones and and so on and so forth. There are many things which are which are contributing to it. And I think what we need is really a cultural revolution rather than simply banning smartphones. You know that might solve the immediate problem or or you know diminish. The problem um, kind of in the short term, but it wouldn't be a long term solution. We need much, a much deeper change than that. Um, but it's an interesting article anyway. Do have a read of that. Um, the next article is uh, also from Alison Pearson. And this was, I think, published yesterday, also in The Telegraph, which says we are now living through the dire consequences of lockdown. And again, you know how we've been looking at that so many of the things that are happening right right now with the NHS for example are being put down to uh, oh well it was it was necessary it was just you know we didn't have a choice back then all of the things that are happening now are you know are terrible consequences but you know it was inevitable and it just had to happen and um and what Alison Pearson is calling for as well as I know I've mentioned this several times over the last few weeks, is accountability and saying who is actually responsible for making these decisions? When is proper accountability going to be made? And this is um, this is what um, what this is how she finishes. I, I like this. This Christmas, we have lockdown by default because of multiple strikes and the NHS is under siege because of lockdown by design. The nothing to, nothing to do with us, Gov, attitude of Hancock, Witty and Valance cannot hold. 
Only by owning the mistakes and promising to never make them again can trust be rebuilt. And I thought that was uh, I thought that was powerful. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot to a um, lot of truth in that. That we actually we need to hold people accountable. Otherwise, things are not going to change. So I hope that the people who have been responsible over the last uh, few years for making these catastrophic decisions will actually be held to own what they've done and, and own their mistakes. Um, on the subject of lockdowns and COVID and so on, there was an article by um, a British uh, doctor, British GP, I believe, called uh, The Covid Physician. It's anonymous, but um, is just writing about their experience over the last few months. And it's quite a long read, but a really, really good one, a really insightful read about um, what's happening and particularly about the effects of the, the vaccine and talking about, you know, they're the, the having sort of almost unprecedented number of people uh, in their GP practice just kind of dying, having those those death notifications come up you know, what is happening and, um, you know, how he has been, um, well, I say, I assume it's a he trying to, to deal with these um, uh, these things. So and and you just kind of uh, particularly I think what's interesting is looking at the the way that other people in the practice have kind of dealt with it and just brushed things under the carpet or just ignored ignored it really all for the sake of a quiet life. We'll come on to that a bit later as well in the main section. But um, yeah, really eye-opening read that. Um, it's called Dispatches from the Phony Covid Trenches. Um, and the links to all of these things will be down in the description below, by the way, below the video or um, in the podcast description. Um, on the subject of the vaccine, there was an interesting um, speech in Parliament a couple of days ago by um, Andrew Bridgen, uh, the MP. And um, the whole speech has been published on John Campbell's YouTube channel, you know, Dr. John Campbell. And um, I think it's well worth a watch just talking about the way that that there are real problems when it comes to, um, you know, the vaccine uh, rollout and, and the, the way that um, it was handled by Pfizer and, and, and all of these companies and the way that the medical establishment are largely ignoring these problems. So, yeah, um, I mean, a lot of this, I think it's just a great speech, actually, but it's good to see these things at least being discussed in Parliament. And I think that is, um, that's a step in the right direction, at least, isn't it? So, you know, um, you might like to have a look at that. Um, okay, so what, just kind of moving on from, from uh, lockdowns, um, and actually quite literally moving on from lockdowns, the... Um, there was a report made, I believe, by the House of Lords who were talking about the lessons that we can learn from the past few years. And it is absolutely is chilling some of the sections, but basically saying we need to take what we've done over the past few years and then apply it to all of the salute, all of the problems that we're facing at the moment. Let me just quote you one thing, which is this is um, was quoted by Calvin Robinson on um, uh, on his Twitter from, from the report. The government should seize the opportunity to evaluate behaviour change which took place during the pandemic to understand the drivers and levers behind the changes with a view to applying lessons learned to other policy areas including climate change and the environment. 
there we go, climate change and the environment. So all of the lockdowns, all of the nudging, the behavioural science, all of that, we should look at all of those changes and apply them to the other issues. So basically the House of Lords are saying now, we need to start doing more behavioural science to get people, to get us to comply with all of the, um, you know, to solve all of those problems as well, to stop us flying and stop, you know, make us care more about the environment or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, I think that's very, that's really chilling actually to hear them talking in, in that way, you know, that basically to coerce people and to, to, you know, change people's behaviour by kind of almost underhand uh, means. I think it's it's worrying. Um, and the the final thing that I wanted to mention is the Archbishop of Canterbury. So you may have seen on the news uh, yesterday, I think, that the one of the boats crossing the channel, the um, uh, you know, the 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 um, migrant crossings, was. Um, capsized and four people died and of course that's that's a tragic thing and the archbishop of canterbury justin welby posted up on twitter i'm praying for the victims of today's terrible events in the channel it's another reminder that debates about asylum seekers are not about statistics but precious human lives may god comfort those who mourn those who survived and all those who work to save lives at sea okay now this is one of those areas where there's nothing wrong per se about what he said. But the issue that I have with what he said is when he makes comments like this about, you know, with tears in his eyes about, you know, debates about asylum seekers are not statistics, but precious human lives. And what I want to know is when is he going to make a statement like that for the thousands of young working class women who were uh, who were groomed and raped and sexually abused by by grooming gangs in you know Telford and Oxford and um, also you know up and down the country when are we going to get statements like that uh, for them or when are we going to get uh, you know statements about um, all sorts of, of different people you know the victims of of lockdown the victims of of NHS you know people who've had to I was reading about um, a man who had to lie on the floor for seven hours before an ambulance came with a broken, you know, hip and uh, something like that. When are we going to get statements like that saying these are precious human lives too, whereas people who come over on the boats are are dispatched and triaged for medical treatment, uh, all of that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it just seems to be one of these things where... the. If you're going to put out public statements, weeping and gnashing your teeth at all of the injustices in the world and how terrible and about precious human lives and so on, when you only make statements which go in a particular direction, which is sympathy for asylum seekers and, and so on, then you are not actually being just according to the Bible, you know, because God calls us to be just for wherever there is injustice but especially to speak out when people are not speaking out and who are people not speaking out for at the moment it is the people that the media simply refuse to exist it's people who've been injured by the vaccine uh, for example it is uh, those working class uh, women and, and so many people who have just been thrown under the bus but if you're an asylum seeker or a refugee or you 
at least you claim you are, uh, coming over on the boats, then you'll get wept over by the Archbishop of Canterbury and there'll be a, pub, a prayer for you and, and so on. It This is not Christian. You know, this is, I think it's disgraceful, actually. Um, you know, that when the bishops make public pronouncements, they make them in accordance with popular beliefs, not in accordance with actually the truth, you know, about being consistent with you know, um, standing up for people who can't speak for themselves. And it's this kind of faux morality, virtue signalling morality, which I think is is a disgrace to the name of Christ, actually. And um, yeah, that that's all I can say about it. I just It just makes me so cross to see it happening again and again. You know, this public virtue signalling about, um, about, you know, politically convenient kind of... Um, things like asylum seekers, but not actually standing up for people who the media are not interested in. And that's what the church should be doing, you know, standing up, standing up against the establishment for people who they're not interested in, rather than just going along with whatever the Guardian happens to be to be saying. So there we go. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll say no more about that. Let's move on now and think about our main topic, which is how everything went wrong. So today's main topic is where did it all go wrong? And I was thinking about this, of just thinking about how the way our politicians seem to be doing things at the moment, it, it's just a complete failure. You know, I, I just thought, you know, have we ever lived in a time when the government seems so utterly unable to deal with the problems that real people are actually facing? You know, the to name a few, the energy crisis, the cost of living crisis, housing, migration, all of those kind of things. You know, they seem to be unable to come up with any actual solutions to for those things. While at the same time, they are increasingly authoritarian and controlling. You know, they're talking about um, central bank digital currencies, for example, or net zero, or you know, online censorship and, and all of those kind of other things, um, many of which we've talked about on the podcast. So you know, on the one hand, the government are becoming more and more draconian and controlling of our lives, while on the other hand, there's a complete failure to actually engage with any of the real issues which we need engaging with, you know, to do proper um, government, I suppose you could say. How did we get to this point? I've um, got a few causes that I've suggested here. I think the first thing is a lack of fundamental values. So how many politicians and you could add to that the media and so on. I mean, um, this is really the whole kind of political chattering class. I really believe in things like freedom and human rights. Now, if you're watching this on the um, the uh, video podcast, you'll see I've put a picture of Keir Starmer. And one of the fascinating things I found about Keir Starmer is that he was originally a barrister and he was involved in human rights cases. I think about that. Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party, was a human rights lawyer standing up for human rights and he did nothing when our rights were, were um, ridden roughshod over during COVID, during the lockdowns. He did nothing to ensure that our rights were respected, or he didn't even seem to mention that angle. And you have to wonder, does he actually believe in human rights? 
because I think his actions as leader of the, the opposition do not show that he really does believe in, in human rights. Neither do the actions of many of the other MPs who just cheerled on more and more restrictions and more and more of our freedoms being taken away. And likewise, the media and, and so on. They didn't really believe in these values. So that's the first thing. I think there's a lack of, of fundamental values which our country was built on. Secondly, uh, there's a lack of personal integrity. Um, I think, you, you know, how many politicians and so on would be prepared to put their careers on the line for standing up for the truth? Now, this is what we need for, for society to flourish. We need people who will be willing to say, no, the truth is the truth and I am not going to go along with a lie just because that means I'll keep my job. It's... um. As uh, Solzhenitsyn said, live not by lies. Um, we're going to come on to all these things in a bit more in, in a moment. Uh, the third thing is a lack of shared national values. So do the government and so on, do the political class have a positive vision for society? This is the thing, you know, do they actually have any positive beliefs about where we are going? So... Let's take those things in turn and just work through them in a, just a little bit more detail. Thinking about a lack of basic values, what would, what would cause a lack of basic values? Well, the other day I was working on, you know, I, I do my, my other channel, uh, Understand the Bible, where we do teaching. And I, for that, as part of the video that I was working on this week, I quoted from an article I found a few years ago which was actually published on the BBC by someone called John Gray, called A Point of View, Two Cheers for Human Rights. And this is what the article said. For many people, the universality of rights is their principal attraction. But for me, it's also their chief weakness. John Locke, the 17th century English thinker who founded the modern theory of rights, believed rights were grounded in our duties to God. For him, human freedom was divinely ordained. That's why he believed we didn't have the right to commit suicide or to sell ourselves into slavery. In Locke's view, we always remained God's creatures. Nowadays, many believers in rights are indifferent or hostile to religion. The fact remains that human rights originated in monotheism, the belief that there's only one God who creates a single moral law for all human beings. And there's a sense in which human rights still depend on some sort of religious commitment. For unless these rights are grounded in something beyond the human world, they can only be a human invention. Now, I think this is very honest and insightful um, of John Gray. I think it was published in 2013. So, um, yeah, uh, really insightful. But what he was saying, that human rights need to be grounded in something which kind of transcends humanity, I think this is absolutely true. That at the end of the day, if human rights are a human invention, then a government can grant human rights or a government can take them away. It, it's up to the government to defend human rights and implement them however they like. There is no kind of universal standard which anybody can appeal to. And 
I believe this is exactly what has happened over the last, you know, well, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. As our country has become increasingly secular, then the values which underpin human rights have become more and more fragile because human rights will not survive if they just become a, a human invention because they can be changed or adapted or taken away at the whim of a government or whoever is in power. And this is why I believe our government and media class and so on, they don't really believe in human rights because they they don't have the belief which underpins them. So this is why they can quite happily say, for example, that all white, you know, only white people can be racist, for example, even though that's manifestly stupid, because they don't really they they think that rights are just something that's politically correct that that is um, you know that that will get, get give them their jobs. You know they don't re really believe in inequality; they just believe in what is politically appropriate to say, politically correct to say when it comes to equality and and so on. So human rights have become detached from actual rights in the way that John Locke and, and others would have recognised them. And instead, they just become at the whim of political convenience. So that's why we've stopped really believing in human rights. The second thing is a lack of personal integrity. Um, so let me give you a few examples of this. I'm sure there are many others that you could think of. But uh, for example... What does Rishi Sunak believe about fracking? I mentioned this on the podcast the other week, but how uh, during the summer, the leadership race, he said, was asked about fracking, and he said, yes, if the local community supports it, he and Liz Trust both said that. And then um, when he actually became prime minister, he then banned fracking. So, you know, what does he actually believe about fracking? It seems it's, again, a political a whim rather than actually having a you know, integrity of a personal belief. The question, what is a woman? Uh, the, the, the question which vexes all of our political leaders, what is a woman? They know what a woman is. They know a woman is an adult human female. You know, that's, that's the scientific fact of the matter. And yet few people in politics and certainly in some sections of the media are prepared to actually say that. Um, it's a complete lack of integrity there in saying I'm going to abandon the truth because I, I don't want to offend people. Um, does anyone really believe that face masks are effective? You know, think about how the government flip-flopped on that. You know, they initially said, and we were told, don't wear one. And then they went crazy in the summer and said, no, actually, you do have to wear one after all. Once the, the first wave was largely over. Absolutely um, crazy. But, you know, there is this kind of, I mean, we have we have the situation at the moment where um, we're doing, a, um, or my, my wife and the kids have been invited to do um, a little sing-along sing at um, a local care home. But in order to get into the room, they have to wear a mask through the corridor, but then get into, when they get into the room, they can take it off. That's so, so illogical, you know, it's it's utterly, utterly crazy, the fact that this is, you know, people are still thinking like this. And it, I think it's it's the thing, isn't it? It's the logic. People set aside logic and just go, oh, 
well, you know, we'll, we'll just act in a nonsensical way because we're, this is the way that we're told. A real lack of integrity of looking at the truth and the data. Um, a couple more things. Why are so few people interested as well in the vaccine injured? As um, I know many people have said that they are, they've struggled to get their story heard. Um, and, and finally, why are so few interested in the cost benefits of net zero? Um, you know, as if, uh, for example, if China are producing, you know, what, 30% or something of carbon emissions in the world, mining, uh, mining tons of coal, all of that stuff, then is us getting to zero, uh, to net zero really worth the, the effort? Is it that, you know, how important is it? All of that sort of thing. Um, and you can sort of add to that. I put a picture there of Stephen Fry. I apologise to Stephen Fry because I didn't mean to imply that he was the sole person lacking personal integrity. But he's just um, done or, or filming a documentary about climate change and been jet setting around the world. And this is what our leaders do now. They jet set around the world to talk about climate change while telling us to, to use less. And, you know, it's another case of do as I do as I say, not as I do. Um, so, you know, let's let's just think about this. There are lots of examples we've been we've been thinking about. But let's think about it ourselves. You know, if you had to choose between personal integrity or career advancement, then what would you choose and why? Now, I suspect that. Probably for the people who listen to this podcast, we would say we, we want to choose personal integrity. Now, why is it that we would want to choose personal integrity and standing up for the truth? Well, I think partly it's because you couldn't live with yourself if you know that you uh, you lived with a lie. You know, you, you know that you aided and abetted a kind of lie in the world. This is the, the live not by lies thing. But I think as well, and perhaps more fundamentally there is a belief about morality and about truth which which we need this is um what it says in the bible in psalm 7 verse 8 let the lord judge the peoples vindicate me lord according to my righteousness according to my integrity o most high and you know it says in the bible the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and how we need a belief that there is a right and wrong and that there is actually it's something something that we need to subscribe to rather than just doing what what will be we in our perception will be best for us um that actually you know we need we need a belief in right and wrong we need a belief that there is a judge uh, and we need you know, so that we we do right and wrong even we do the right thing sorry even when nobody's looking you know, we need to believe that there is a right and wrong and, and we should do it even when nobody is looking and we won't get found out, so we think. And we believe that we will be vindicated with those decisions. And I think that's a very biblical belief. And that's what, we, or that's one of the major things that the fruit of Christianity and of the Bible is in, in actually encouraging us to do the right thing even when nobody is looking and to have integrity rather than just to fit in with the crowd to fit in with what everybody else is saying because it's convenient for you. Um, okay, let's move on to to the the third thing here, which is a lack of shared moral values. So, what do you think the the government's vision is for Britain? 
you know what what do you think the government are saying we should uh, you know we, we would be like in an ideal world is that you know where the science tells us what's best where big corporations run the show or where the little people simply ob- obey the diktats of the rich and the powerful so that we can solve all of the world's problems you know we are controlled like cattle or where diversity means everything except diversity of opinion i think the the world view the beliefs the moral beliefs of a lot of the government and the media class and so on can be summed up in uh, there was a poster which I think became popular in America that people were putting up outside their houses which just said in this house we believe love is love black lives matter science is real feminism is for everyone no human is illegal and kindness is everything I mean what a an incredible set of virtue signaling political slogans <laughs> it, it does seem bizarre to me that that could actually be a thing um, but there we go and it, it seems like that's the worldview of our political class which is just this kind of political um, truth and political morality which is you go along with it even though it may be contradicted by the facts even though it may have um, you know very little basis in reality in some cases um, or, or very questionable at least so yeah it's that's the kind of worldview that that they are trying to to bring about you know it's this kind of political truth and political morality rather than based on on anything that's actually real now the problem is that governments need a positive moral vision because they're not there to fix every problem but to promote good and to restrain evil and we're gonna we're gonna come on to that in just a second but in order to do that you need to distinguish between good and evil so if you don't have a vision of what's good and what's evil or if you have a a distorted and incorrect vision of good and evil then you're going to have a distorted vision of government and and the country that is the problem So this is what it says in the Bible, in the book of Romans, about the government. And this is one of the most famous passages about the government. Um, And this is one of those somewhat controversial passages, but we're not really going to look into the controversy uh, too much here. Um, I have talked about this a little bit before. But this is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Let me read it out first. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, the controversial thing about this passage is 
the beginning, which is let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And this is a passage which has been used by um, by tyrants uh, and despots, you know, for, for centuries. And that's not what Paul is saying here. And actually, if you want to look at this in a bit more detail, I did a podcast, I think it was quite a few months ago now, but looking at whether it was an that it is actually our duty to resist tyranny and I think we looked at this passage as part of that and saying actually what Paul is saying is the government have been instituted by God they are accountable to him and they have a particular job to do what job do they have to do well the job that they have to do is that they are God's servant to bear the sword in other words they are to administer justice in this life they are to administer, they are sort of God's representatives on earth to administer justice so that society does not get too bad and that society is sort of kept on the right lines. That although, you know, we can't ensure everyone is a Christian, for example, we can try and ensure that evil is restrained and that people seek good as much as possible. Now, how can governments do that to administer justice, to do to promote good and restrain evil, if they have an incorrect concept or distorted concept of morality and justice? That is the million dollar question. And I think this is where we have fallen into a pit because the government have lost the Christian concept of morality and justice, of good and evil. And in fact, as we, we had in the, um, the biblical reflection last week, Isaiah chapter 5, this is what Isaiah said. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now we've, we've changed it round. It's completely inverted now that in some ways the government have turned what is evil into good and what is good into what is evil. And is it any surprise that things have just fallen apart in such a catastrophic way? That there is no conception of, of the good anymore, apart from this kind of political, woke good, if you like. So what kind of government would I like to see, according to the Bible, which is sort of based on biblical principles? I've got a few things here which I would like to suggest, but I'm sure there's more that a lot more that could be said and I would like to look at this in more detail at some point um, uh, in the podcast but something which I want to say uh, which I want the government to do or to stop doing is to stop trying to fix everything I think the government have got this idea that they need to fix every problem in society and I think they need to stop that as Chesterton said in that quote we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if government could do anything, everything would be government. And I think that was very wise, you know, that if they could do it, then everything would be government. And this is why throughout history, when governments have taken on big projects, then it, it, they tend to go horribly wrong and just get en enmeshed in this, in layers and layers of bureaucracy and, and well, it's like the NHS really, isn't it? Um, and I said, you know, well, the NHS is one thing. We talked about that last week. Maybe even things like the welfare state. You know, do we need an expensive welfare state in the way that we have at the moment? Um, net zero, you know, are we, is it 
um, pointless trying to solve these problems of, of climate change and so on. Now, I think that we are, the government are just taking on far too much onto their shoulders in trying to fix things. And we need to row back from a lot of that. So what should they be doing? I believe they should be promoting what is good. As we've seen, what that means is promoting God's vision of a healthy society. And that is things like, you know, families, friendships, church, generosity, freedom, all of those kind of things, you know, promoting a loving, healthy community where individuals are are free to do what is right and, and encouraged to be generous and look to others, look to the needs of others and look to the needs of society. That is the kind of society which is healthy and which is which is good. I think we should that therefore allow freedom for individuals and corporations to innovate and to solve problems. So rather than the government trying to say, well, we need to solve this problem, let's let's take that on, actually say, well, let's give freedom for individuals and for, for companies to solve these kind of problems so that, uh, you know, we, we allow them to come up with solutions rather than trying to do it all ourselves. And in particular, I think that would involve reducing the tax burden, you know, so that people actually had more... Uh, more freedom in kind of financially as well as things like regulation um matt ridley wrote an article a few months ago saying how regulation was just stifling everything and that there was so little innovation because um the government regulation was so intense in in some areas uh which i think is probably true you know that we can't regulate for everything um promote and reward those trying to solve societal problems so, you know, those people who are actually trying to, to do good should be rewarded. And um, I don't know exactly how the government could do that. Uh, there are probably lots of different options for that. But, you know, actually promote people who are doing good rather than just at least, you know, being neutral, saying, sort of saying nothing. So that's, so that's doing good. And then um, to restrain what is evil, and I'm, I'm afraid I put this in the wrong um, in the wrong. Um, bit but uh, not doing business with immoral countries or corporations where possible i think part of the part of the the problem is at the moment that we've become very dependent on countries which do not have our best interests at heart and who act in quite immoral ways is it right for example for our manufacturing to go to china because it's cheaper where we know that in china the reason it's cheaper is because it's being made where workers are not paid enough and are working in poor conditions is that right? Is that ethical? No, I don't think it is. So, and, and this has been, you know, enabled by, uh, by the government. Um, and you know, corporations are allowed to get away with stuff. I think part of the problem is, a lot of, um, corporations and you think about landlords, for example, are just allowed to get away with terrible things because they know there'll be no comeback for it. So, you know, I think there there should be, a, a kind of a moral vision for for corporations as well as for individuals and particularly there should be punishment for individuals and corporations uh, effectively and efficiently who do what is wrong who do what is immoral now because if they if there's no punishment there's no there's no teeth and they know they can just get away with it whatever um, you think about the 
channel crossings for example if you if you know yes it's a risky business it's expensive but if you know you're very unlikely to actually for anything to actually happen to you once you get here then what is there to put you off really and um, it's the same for anything you know if you know that there's going to be no punishment then you think well the risk is worth it whatever however bad it might be the thing that you're thinking about doing so there needs to be effective punishment as well and it, you know, it just seemed to me that the government can has got a lot of a lot of soft power in terms of how it could do things. You know, if if it awarded government contracts to companies to corporations who had a moral code, who actually acted were acting in in right, good, sort of generous ways, and did what was doing what was right, rather than awarding contracts to companies who had nothing like that, then I think companies would really soon get the message. You know, money talks, doesn't it? So, you know, there is a lot that could be done there, I think, without necessarily doing a huge amount. But just in terms of who you work with, actually working with people, working with companies who are doing what is right and good. So if there is a moral centre in government, then that would hopefully spread out to the, the rest of uh, society as well. And this is what I think uh, happens in, in the Bible often. If you look at the king's of the Old Testament, then if the kings are, you know, right and godly, then the rest of society kind of follows. But if the kings go off the rails, then the rest of society kind of follows. There is something about having a, a leadership who are right and godly and, and good and moral and, and upright, all of those kind of things. It affects the rest of society. I just wanted to finish by quoting from Isaiah because I know that this has all been... Um, well, I, ho I hope it's been, it's been being positive thinking about what the government could and should be like. But you might be thinking, well, we're a long way from that. And is there any hope for anything changing? And, you know, perhaps, humanly speaking, there isn't. But as it's coming up to Christmas, uh, I just wanted to read one of the famous Christmas passages from Isaiah chapter 9. This is what it says. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I think that's a really encouraging thing that you know we know that the governments have been that the authorities have been established by God but above them stands one and it says the government will be on his shoulders that's Christ the 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 one whose shoulders the government is on who is ruling with righteousness with justice and so on and he will sort things out and we can trust it to him to sort out any of the problems that we have at the moment uh, that we know that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this in time and we can trust that to him. So with that thought, let's finish now with a little reflection from the Bible and we're going to look at another famous passage from Christmas this time. So I wanted to finish the podcast just looking at uh, the uh, Mary's song, otherwise called the, the Magnificat which um, you, you may know from uh, from church. This is often included as part of the uh, the liturgy. And in fact, 
I think in the traditional uh, Book of Common Prayer services, it's included in morning prayer or evening prayer. Um, I can't remember which one or maybe both. Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Uh, let me read out. These will be familiar words, I'm sure. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, I think this passage, actually, um, I mean, there's a lot you could say about it, but one thing which really struck me, and we were looking at this in our church this last Sunday, is how it talks about uh, bringing down rulers from their thrones, but lifting up the humble, filling the hungry with good things, but sending the rich away empty. And I just thought, what a, what words for today? You know, that we, we are living in days when I think the rich and the powerful do oppress though, those who are sort of poor, ordinary people. Uh, we are living in days when the rulers are swanning around, you know, not exactly living in the lap of luxury all the time, but certainly, you know, to some extent, lording it over. Uh, and, um, you know, Mary says, no, actually, you know, the birth through Jesus, that is all inverted. You know, actually, God lifts high the humble and brings down the rulers. And I think this is an encouraging message for us this Christmas time as we remember the birth of Christ. We remember that God does lift up the humble. You know, he's not with those who are oppressive. He is not with those who lord it over. But he is with the humble, those who humble themselves before him. And those who who don't have uh, great resources of their own, who are not rich. Uh, that is who God is with. You know, and we serve a God who, who lifts up the humble. And, and that's a, an encouraging message. If we feel at the moment like we are, don't have much that we can do if we don't feel like we are powerful or you know we feel like the, the forces of the world are too great for us to do anything about we know that god is a god who lifts up the humble and who brings down the mighty um, rulers from their thrones that's the god that we serve and we know this because of jesus that's what god did in jesus he was born into humble circumstances uh, laid in a manger you know a completely unfit place for a king to be placed especially the king of all creation that's where he was laid into an ordinary family in a an ordinary town and yet he was the king of all creation and that is that's the way that god does things you know he he lifts up those who humble themselves before him and he brings down those who are proud in their inmost thoughts those are God's mighty deeds and we can trust him this Christmas time and always that that is what God is like and that is what he does. So I hope that that's, that's an encouragement to you as it was to me 
over um, this this last uh, week or so. And that's something that we can uh, be reflecting on over this next few days, next few weeks and into the, the new year. Uh, and we will sh- we will see I'm sure of this see God's hand at work bringing down bringing down the proud uh, lifting up the humble over over these next uh, next few months next few years um, that's what we need to commit to anyway just humbling ourselves before God and trusting that he will he will lift us up in due time so let's pray and ask for God's help in these things and asking that he would help us to be humble before him and just trust him with all of the the bigger things going on and so heavenly father we do recognize lord that there are um, big problems in our world at the moment in our society in our, our government and so on and we ask heavenly father that you would grant uh, wisdom to uh, to the government to be able to uh, to put your your ways um, first to have a vision of society which is built on uh, what you know is is good and best for us, Lord, to be able to promote what is good and restrain what is evil and to do justly. Uh, but we thank you, Lord, that we know you do um, bring down the proud, but lift up the humble. And we pray that you would help us over these next few days, next few weeks, to uh, humble ourselves before you and to trust that you would lift up in due time all of those who want to humbly serve you and do what is right. So we pray, Lord, that you would um, be with us over these coming days and help us to have a deeper sense of um, what you want us to do and a deeper trust in you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining me today. Just like to say, if you'd like to get in touch, then you can do that. Uh, there's Telegram. There's a group on Telegram you can join in. Um, there is um, leave a comment if you're on uh, here on YouTube or possibly on Odyssey. If I have to move over to Odyssey, um, the link is down below as well. Uh, and you can always uh, email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com if you'd like. Um, if you're on the audio podcast, if you would like to leave me a rating, that'd be great. Even if you have time, a review, that'd be really kind of you. Uh, just helping uh, other people to find that, find the show. That's how kind of how it works. And um, there is a, a buy me a coffee link if you'd like to support me. Uh, I really do appreciate um, all of that. And I know times are hard for all of us at the moment. But um, yeah, I really do um, appreciate that too. Um, but, um, you know, I just appreciate all of your engagement, listening, commenting, watching and whatever, all of those things. It's uh, just great to be here. And um, yeah, um, I'm glad that this is helpful um, to people. So yeah, all of that said, um, I think I should be back next week. Um, maybe a shorter podcast as it's just before Christmas. But um, yeah, hopefully back next week. And um, all of that said, I'll um, see you soon. God bless. <laughs>